Hello and welcome to another episode of the Joe's Art History Podcast, a podcast which celebrates all things art historical every single day, be that painting, sculpture, architecture, jewellery, design, you name it, no topic is off limits. It's just going to be me today talking to you about, in my opinion, one of art history's most important figures. And as we naturally assume, art history is of course all about art and artists, but there are people within the canon of art history who have really played a vital role and have been a very important cog in the machine and driving force behind either an artist or a group of artists. So today's episode is the first in what I'm hoping to be a six part series of six dealers who have been instrumental in shaping the canon of art history and also the driving force behind some of art history's biggest names. Today I'll be talking to you about somebody who, depending if you've studied art history or not, you may have heard of him, but regardless if you have or have not, you will definitely have heard of the group of painters that he was instrumental in pushing forward and arguably the reason why, or one of the reasons why they're so famous and well-known globally today. Today we're going to be talking about a dealer called Paul Durand Ruel, who was the driving force behind the Impressionists and the group that we know, or the style of painting that we know as Impressionism. Now, in case you haven't heard of Impressionism, this was a 19th century art movement which is characterised by relatively small, thin and yet visible brushstrokes with a very open composition. And some of the artists that are part of this group are Claude Monet, Degas, Renoir, Manet, and there's also a few female Impressionists as well, like Mary Cassatt and Beth Morrison, who are equally as important, but still a rarity in that time and brought a different sort of take to Impressionism. What I want to do on today's episode is to just show you and give you a very brief overview history of who Paul Durand Ruel was and why he was so important in driving the Impressionists. But I think by the end of it, you'll know a little bit more about him um, about the process of dealers and maybe just gain a little bit more into the insight of why actually dealers are so important. I personally, I work in an art gallery and we operate as the dealers for certain artists. We, we work with a lot of sculptors and the question I'm asked most is, apart from what does it mean, <laughs> which seems to be everyone's favourite question, which is great, is what is the point in an art gallery or what is the point in a dealer? So what I'm hoping to do, and again, I've got six people lined up who I feel, and I, I feel a lot of my colleagues and contemporaries within the art world will agree that uh, these six people are just a snapshot of some of the really key people who have really shaped the art world and why it is the way that it is today, and also introduced techniques which today we think are very normal and very standardised, but at the time where, when they introduced them were completely out of the box and revolutionary in their thinking and their processes. So sit back and relax as we learn a little bit together about the dealer, Paul Durand-Ruel.
So it seems an obvious place to start, but the first question is, who was Paul Durand Ruel? Durand Ruel was a Parisian art dealer and collector, born into a family of dealers. His father was already a picture dealer and he took over the family business. And he is really credited as the per- as the person behind and the reason that the Impressionists are as globally recognised as what they are today. He really was a bit like a dog with a bone. Um, he got quite a lot of knockbacks, particularly in France. The Impressionists were belittled and laughed at and he recognised their potential straight away and regardless of decades of ridicule in France, he continued to drive his passion and, his, and put his support behind the Impressionists. So how did he help them? As mentioned before, it was a family business. He grew up um, with a father who was a picture dealer and he took over his father's shop in Paris. And before the Impressionists, he is actually credited for the success of a group of artists in Paris called the Fine School of Painting, which included the likes of art history elite Eugène Delacroix, who was a huge uh, force in French painting. He also worked with such artists such as Gustave Courbet and Millet and he was really successful with building the reputation of this group of artists. So it almost came as a surprise to his normal clientele when he began supporting this group of young up-and-coming artists who really rebelled against the traditions of painting. To set the scene a little bit It was a bit like career suicide in a way as an artist if you didn't follow what the traditional styles of painting, which art historically are known as the academy traditions. What was acceptable, using my air quotes here, were historical subjects, religious themes and just kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel of what was an acceptable thing for an artist to paint were portraits. So... Historical, religious themes and portraits, all big thumbs up. Things like landscapes and still lifes were the dregs and really not celebrated and seen as something not even pursued. They were a waste of time. Which is why when Duran Ruel sparked up a relationship with this young group of painters, his original clientele, people were a bit surprised. And I cannot stress this enough, the Impressionists were despised, despised in Paris throughout the majority of their lives. They were Each painter was incredibly unsuccessful. Monet was married to someone who was quite well off, so he had a little bit more recognition than the others. But it was strange that a dealer and an established dealer like Duran Ruel would champion a group of artists who embraced the idea of painting landscapes and contemporary life rather than historical or mythological scenes. Now, as well as rejecting the idea of what was cons- what the Academy would consider traditional painting and acceptable paintings, the Impressionists were also champions of painting what is known as en plein air, so painting outside. And they were able to do this really for the first time within history because of developments that happened within paint production and productions in artists' equipment. So, for example, it was the first time in history between the 1860s and the 1870s that 
paint was produced in smaller tubes and it made these things portable. So also easels were started to be produced smaller and collapsible. So it was very easy for an artist to pack up contents of his studio and venture out, set himself up in the open air in a field or at the top of a, a building and a roof overlooking the city or in someone's balcony and just paint for the day. So this was a relatively new technique and the Impressionists are all about the idea of exploring the impact that light has on their subjects and how also light changes and varies throughout the day as well as throughout the seasons which is why for a lot of Impressionist painters you'll see that they'll return to the same spot. For example, Monet was very good at this. Um, he has a series of haystacks that are tracked throughout not only the day, but throughout the seasons and, and how light affects these fields in, in different ways and the, the very different scale of colour which light can both produce but also completely eliminate. There's also a series of cathedrals. Um, the name of the cathedral of a, has, of course, escaped me, but these are incredibly important series. Anyway, this is all very well and good, but it doesn't explain why Paul Duran Ruel is so important. Well, we're getting there. Paul Duran Ruel, as, as we've said, had his own shop in Paris, his own dealership in Paris, but he had to flee Paris in 1870 due to the Franco-Prussian War. So for the safety of his family, they fled to London, taking with him the entire contents and stock from his Paris gallery. So he set himself up on New Bond Street and was introduced to Claude Monet and Pissarro as they had also fled France for the same reasons that Duran Ruel had. They were in London for about a year and in 1871 Duran Ruel returned to Paris and was introduced to fellow Impressionists through Monet and Pissarro who he'd struck up a very good friendship with and had even purchased some of their works. So when he returned to Paris he was introduced to Degas, Sicily and Renoir. Now, there's a really famous story that upon meeting Renoir in his studio in Paris, Duranwell was so taken and captivated by Renoir's work, he famously purchased Renoir's entire studio, which at that time was about 23 paintings, which is still in today's standards. That's a lot of painting. And from that moment, he began representing the artists and trying to promote and sell their works through shows and art reviews. He also knew the major dealers across Europe and with their help and recommendations would show works in hotels throughout Europe where he would rent a space to push the Impressionists' names across Europe. Now, Duran Ruel is celebrated as being one of the most innovative dealers within the history of art and he championed and brought forth techniques which we still use today. Now, I could literally sit here all day and talk to you about some of the things which today are so run-of-the-mill, but he really did think outside the box and made some monumental key developments in the art world. So, brace yourself. This is quite an impressive list. The first thing Duran Royal did was ask for exclusive representation of an artist, which means that no other dealer could sell the work of the Impressionists, you, you, can't, you had to go through Duran Ruel in order to get hold of a work by the Impressionists, which suddenly gave them this exclusivity and there was a clout because they had a dealer and quite an established dealer who was willing to back them. But that doesn't always spell success as we will discuss a little later on. But so before Duran Ruel, artists were a bit of a free-for-all 
not many re were represented by just one dealer or one gallery. They were represented by whoever came along and was willing to show them. And Duran well changed this. One of the second things that he did was he got financial backing from independent sources for his gallery and for his exhibitions. So essentially, he, he was one of the first dealers or the first dealer to get sponsorship for his exhibitions. If you go to any big exhibition today, you'll see an art, art fair, for example, as well. You'll see that they're sponsored by the Bank of Canada, BNP Paribas, or they're sponsored by Deutsche Bank. Banks love sponsoring. I, I don't know if it's just London, but banks do really love sponsoring these big monumental shows at the Royal Academy or at Tate. And he was one of the first people to go and seek financial backing from independent sources and from his friends as well. So these were for his shows and just really to help cover the expenses that would incur with hiring a space, producing a publication and inviting the right people, which this was completely unheard of at the time. He would also borrow capital and invest the capital, which would, which was another way that he promoted shows. So he was able to hire larger venues across Paris and at times in different countries throughout Europe. So he could really make an impression, no pun intended, that he was championing. Another development which Duran Royal made was he introduced the concept of a monthly stipend to his artists. So although it was only a small amount of money, he would pay his artists a fee every month which would help them towards studio costs and material costs and things like that, which at the time was a complete revelation. And although it's not really a practice which galleries do now, I mean, depends if you do residencies and things like that. So essentially, probably that's what it's closest to, actually. If you do a residency with a gallery now, they tend to either cover your studio costs and maybe give you some money at the, every month for materials and whatever else. Or I know there are some art agencies that also pay their, their artists a monthly stipend as a way of investing in their artist and to show belief, which is essentially exactly what Duran Royal did by giving these artists a small fee every month, which they were able to use on associated costs with their artworks. And then sometimes just even to make sure that they were eating. It was an incredibly important development, which was spearheaded by Duran Royal and something that is still in place today, although it's called something a little differently. Another thing, which is a little bit mind-boggling, actually, when you think about it, the amount of information that's available today. Duran Royal was one of the first dealers to launch his own publication, his own arts publications, which reviewed artists and artworks and discussed, discussed works which were available to purchase and sort of artists and focus segments, which is incredible when you consider if you buy a membership to a big gallery or an association, you get a monthly magazine, which kind of gives you a roundup of all the things that are coming up. That in 1870, 1880 was a new thing which Duran Royal really pushed for. And what he would do, he would write reviews of art exhibitions. He even published journals which reviewed the work of his artists. And the idea for doing this was that he would be able to send these out to people that were not based in Paris or unable to get to a show to see the works. They would be able to find the latest shows happening in Paris or have a sense of what was going on in the art world in Paris. Because you have to remember at this time, Paris, I mean, it still is today, it's a very exciting art hub. 
and yeah, centre of so many things going on. And for him to sort of spearhead this idea of producing a publication is quite impressive for one man and just showed, really shows the lengths in which he believed in this group of artists and what he was willing to do to be successful and make it work for his artists. One of the last things that Duranwell was instrumental in forming and this is going to sound a little silly again compared to what we what we are so used to today he introduced the idea of one-man shows so just think about that it was Paul Duran Morel's idea that you can have one exhibition dedicated to the work of one artist and that was because before that it was a case of safety in numbers and group shows were seen as the right and proper way of showing artists' works. And again, that harks back to something we mentioned earlier in the podcast about the the Academy of Fine Arts and the Academy traditions and styles. It was tradition that you showed works collectively and every year, kind of like what happens in London, there's a salon, um, but we kind of know it as the Royal Academy of Arts Summer Exhibition, where it was open to a vast selection of artists and you submitted your work and a panel of judges decided if it was good enough to be in the exhibition or not. And if you made it into the salon, it was really where a lot of artists sold their works. And it's it's still the case today with the Royal Academy of Arts Summer Exhibition, which I think this it's over 250 years old, the UK one is anyway. They celebrated their 250th year, um, I think that's two years ago now. And obviously with everything that's happening with COVID-19, it's been pushed back, but it will be happening in the autumn. So at least that's still happening. And that's probably another podcast in itself. But before then, even when you didn't participate in the salon, which of course, if you were rejected, you couldn't. If you put your work together, it was always encouraged that you showed with other artists, which is so crazy to think that it wasn't a thing until the 1870s, 1880s. Anyway, so that's just some of the things that Paul Durand was responsible for implementing in his pursuit and promotion of the Impressionist painters. What I have to caveat in saying, despite all these incredible developments and dedication from the support of Paul Duran-Ruel, the Impressionists were despised because of their subject matters and how they handled their, their paint and how they chose to execute their works. It was really looked down on. There's some really fantastic sort of satire cartoons which were published in the local paper at the time, one, one of which very famously is during, the impre- during one of the Impressionist exhibitions that were, that were happening within Paris. A police officer is like holding back this pregnant woman and essentially saying that it's detrimental to the health of her child that she doesn't enter the exhibition because it's just so shocking and outrageous. So just to give you a real sense of how hated the Impressionists were, which is, it's, yeah, just amazing what happens and how that can change. And the reason it's changed is because of what Paul Duran Ruel did next. So after almost 12 years of pushing the Impressionists when he came back to Paris in 1871, by 1883, Duran Ruel was really still trying to push them. He had done his shows in other countries across Europe and his big fancy hotels. He had his financial backers. They'd had a couple of solo one-man exhibitions and nothing. There was still no success. And although some things had been sold realistically and financially, 
Duran Royal was on the brink of financial ruin. Did he give up? No, he did not. He thought, right, okay, what can I do that's it's not working here? How can I change it? And I think this is what really sets him apart from a lot of people. He he was very savvy and very business-minded, and this is what I really respect about him. He started to look at international markets to see if it would help in any way at all. In 1883, he organised a little touring exhibition solo series um, throughout Germany, the United States and the UK, which were not successful. But despite this, he decided to push on. Now, you're probably thinking, okay, so 1883, he's on the brink of financial ruin, he's tried to switch it up and do a touring show, so there was a turning point. So after trying to push the Impressionists in France, and Duran Royal now really financially struggling, and his, what was supposed to be a last roll of the dice... Him still coming up short, he still did not give up hope and thought, this will happen. I just don't, I still don't have the right audience. So he got a bit of a break when in 1886, the director of the American Association of Art in New York, who was called James Sutton, approached the dealer and asked if he would be interested in staging an exhibition of the Impressionist works in New York. And Ruel near enough chucked up over himself to make it happen. He was like, absolutely, I'll be there. Now, it's important to remember at this time, this is now about 13, 14 years where he's been trying to push a group unsuccessfully in Paris. And his reputation in France was near enough in tatters because he just didn't, like I said earlier, a dog with a bone, he just didn't give up. And people considered him mad for trying to sell what was seen as degenerate art. So when he was approached in 1886, he really didn't have anything to lose. So he just thought, let's do it. And he seized the opportunity with both hands. But at this point, the Impressionists had also lost a little bit of faith in Duran Royal as well. And he near enough had to beg them to allow him to show some works in New York, which they agreed to. And he began arranging the exhibition. As a way of further sweetening the deal, James Sutton of the American Association of Art agreed to finance all transport, insurance and installation costs which Duran Royal would have encouraged paying for it himself so they agreed they said okay we'll cover everything because we really want this show to happen and they even arranged at the time in New York there was a 30% import tax to be applied on works which were coming into the country and they managed to arrange it that the import tax would only happen for works which Duran Royal brought into the country and that were sold at the American Association of Art, which really at the time was the cherry on top of the cake. So Duran Royal set sail for New York with 300 works by the Impressionists in March 1886. And this is where it gets really exciting. So he gets to New York, he stages the show, and lo and behold, success at last. Although it was very small at first. So they originally showed in the American art galleries, and the show was so popular of the 300 works that he originally took out, it was decided it would continue at the National Academy of Design in New York. And this was the first time in history that an Impressionist show was warmly received. This is this is what Paul Duran Royal had, had really been waiting for. So he praised the Americans for being, and I quote here, less bound by routine and less arrogant than our French collectors. So there you are. Commercially, the success was small to begin with, but the show was deemed successful by Sutton. This was James Sutton from 
the American Association of Art. And Sutton was so impressed that he invited Duran Royal back for a show the following year, which Duran Royal, of course, agreed to. And in 1887, he returned with a further few hundred paintings and the exhibition was staged at the National Academy of Design, where 225 works sold. So, just amazing. And even today's standard, that rate of selling in an exhibition is unheard of. I think in my entire time within the art world, I've only heard of two exhibitions that have been complete sellouts. And by that, I mean every every work was sold. But even that standard, 225 paintings sold. So, realising he was on to a good thing, Duran Royal set up a permanent space in New York in 1887, off the back of the success of this show. And really, that is how Paul Duran Royal made his name. And he began setting up auctions where people could collect a piece of what New Yorkers branded the Duran Royal School of French Painting. So they weren't even considered the, the Impressionists. You were buying from the Duran Royal School of French Painting. After his success in New York, he then tried his hand at dealing in Germany. And his sons also took over the running of the gallery in the States. So his, he had three sons and they moved out to America and they ran the, the gallery there while he tried his hand again in Europe and began dealing a little bit in Germany where he identified that that was a really important and like key market in Europe, particularly Berlin. And Berlin is still a very important market today. And although with the success, finances were still a little tight, um, but he set up a space in Germany and it took a further 10 years of pushing before the German museums and German collectors finally embraced the Impressionists and began collecting. Now, this wasn't enough for Duran Royal, and of course he thought, let's go back to where it all began. So he returned to London and staged what is considered by art historians as the most important exhibition of Impressionist paintings to ever happen. And it took place in 1905 at the Grafton Gallery in London, where Duran Royal showed 315 works by his Impressionist painters. I will leave a link in the show notes to um, an installation view of the Impressionist show at Grafton Galleries. And it really is so impressive, the amount of really key works from the Impressionists that were at this show. So after the success in London and America and the beginning successes within Europe of pushing the Impressionist's name, Paul Duran Royal decided to retire after a long and successful career in 1910, leaving all his galleries to his son. And there you have a very brief history of Paul Duran Royal and what he did for the Impressionist painters. Now, for me, I find it incredible that Duran Royal is not a household name as the Impressionists are. I mean, I suppose in a way you don't really talk about, he, he was kind of like the silent partner within, if we think about it in today's standards, like the Impressionist brand, uh, again, using my air quotes here. But really, he was the driving force behind a group of artists who arguably could have sizzled out completely and fallen into complete obscurity. Has he not been so driven to to take their works abroad and, and really push their markets and, and support them in the way that he did? 
And I think, and that is why I think he is one of the most important dealers within the history of Arch. Paul de Renouille, for me, is the perfect introductory example of what a dealer has the power to achieve for artists and stands to me as a shining example of when it's done right, how the effects are long felt after the dealer and the artists are long gone. What I really personally admire about Paul de Renouille is his sheer determination and drive to succeed and push a group of artists who he just knew there was something special about them and even if their country of origin hated them they really hated them he was he just believed in them and their their art so much that he just kept pushing and pushing and pushing even when he was faced with financial and career ruin because people did think by 1882, 1883, that he was a madman for not dropping something that people were pushing. Um, I also, what I really admire about Paul Duranwell was that he was so resourceful and that he adapted his methods of promotion and selling to suit his new environment. I think that's why he is a shining example of an art dealer in history who quite rightfully earns his place as one of the most important dealers within the canon of art history. And I would just like to to end this uh, this episode with some quotes from uh, Duran Rail, who once said, "Without America, I would have been lost, ruined, after having so many Monets and Renoirs. The two exhibitions there in eighteen eighty six saved me. The American public bought moderately, but thanks to that public, Monet and Renoir were able to live, and after that, the French public followed suit." It really was because of the American his American clients' openness and willingness to sort of break out with the the canon of of traditional painting and see them for for what they are. And I read somewhere that there's something like a third of impressionist paintings in the U.S. and that is largely due to Paul Duranrail. Another thing I would like to say is that there is quite a lot of material on Duran Ruel. There's there's several books and he was also the subject of a major temporary exhibition at the National Gallery in 2015 in London entitled Inventing Impressionism. And the exhibition actually became a little documentary film called Exhibition on Screen. The Impressionist, the man who made them, became a few episodes on ITV. So, you know, but he... He has been the subject in more recent years of discussion and celebration and and recognition for how vital he was in pushing Impressionism. So I've decided to talk about Paul Duranrail because for me, there are six dealers within history. I mean, there's a lot more than that, but I've narrowed down six of my personal favourites who are really key. And I've started a blog post series on this called The Art of the Deal. It's the last Monday of every month until the end of 2020. I'll be publishing a new blog post about my top six of The Art of the Deal. And I'll just say now, um, I didn't actually realise, I called the series The Art of the Deal before I realised that was the name of Donald Trump's first autobiography. So um, if anyone has paid that, that's, or hadn't, there you are, that's a little bit of a laugh for you there. I've named something after something that Donald Trump has done. Accidentally, accidentally. But I like the name and it's nothing to do with Trump. So, although it is to do with business, so I don't know. Although I doubt very much he'll listen to this and uh, try and take me down for it. 
I hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Jaws Art History Podcast where we have discussed a very brief overview of the history of art dealer Paul Durant Noel. Um, I'll leave some links in the show notes to a really fantastic lecture actually. It's about an hour long so if you have some time or actually it's really good just to sort of like have on in the background and just sort of potter. I'll leave some links in the show notes to that and there'll be some links on my Instagram page which is at Joe's Art History on Instagram and I will also leave a link in the show notes to my Instagram blog on Joanne Well, which also gives you a few more images and a little bit more information on some of the exhibitions and some more dates and things like that. I don't want to be too date heavy, I think that can really um, bore people which is not what I'm trying to do. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you would like to get in touch, you can email joesarthistory at gmail.com or you can contact me on Instagram, which is at joesarthistory. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you've learned a little something. I know I definitely have. And I'll be back really soon with another episode of Joes Art History Podcast. Part two of my Art of the Dealer series will be coming very, very soon. Thank you. Bye.